Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is LTL in a post-yellow world with my friend Curtis Garrett. Curtis is the Senior Vice President of LTL at Freight Plus, a managed transportation provider. And Curtis is also the founder of Understand LTL, an LTL training firm. Curtis is hosting the industry's first live LTL mastermind event. It'll be held November 9th and November 10th in High Point, North Carolina. So check out my conversation with Curtis. How's it going, Curtis? Good. It's going great, Joe. Thanks for having me along. I'm glad to talk to you. Curtis, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, so I'm Curtis Garrett. I've spent my whole whole career in the LTL industry, actually, calling in from central North Carolina, close to Greensboro. And I work during the day for a company called Freight Plus out of Boston, which is a managed transportation provider specifically for middle market companies. And we tend to get a lot of business in the food and beverage world. So that's a bit of our expertise and specialty, which with the grocery deliveries and the temp control aspects, it's a little challenge, challenging. So that's keeping us on our toes there. And then additionally, I launched my own LTL education and community brand last year called Understand LTL. And so I've got an online course out. I've had 50 students go through that working on the next one, which is going to be a deep dive into the pricing and costing aspect of LTL. And then I've actually got a small mastermind event that I'm capping at 25 people this happening this November. So there's a few things on the go with Understand LTL and then Freight Plus as well. We're growing, just actually hit the fastest growing company in Boston and their Fast 50 here recently. So a lot on the go. Very nice. Very nice. So I love that what you're doing with Understand LTL. It is a market that a lot of people don't understand. And I would also say there's been a lot of changes to that market. And then with uh, Yellow going out of business and them being an LTL carrier, obviously that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. But LTL is really necessary, but it's sometimes overlooked. We'll circle back and talk a little bit about the basics of LTL. Because again, I think there's a lot of people, especially in the truckload world, who go, I know it's out there, but I don't understand it. Or some would say, I understand it and I don't like it. (laughs) Right. It's got a bit of a bite to it, for sure. (laughs) Yep. Yep. So Curtis, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you joined Freight Plus and started Understand LTL. Absolutely. So I've got a long winding path that brought me to North Carolina. I actually grew up in Western Canada, close to Vancouver in in British Columbia. So spent my whole life there. All my family is still in Western Canada, uh, primarily either BC or Alberta. Finished high school there. And then I actually, before jumping into college, wanted to travel a bit. So I went, I spent three months in Eastern Africa And ultimately met my wife there, a girl that grew up in Columbus, Ohio. So we got married in our early 20s and I moved to Ohio and did a major pivot on my life path and trajectory there. I had actually been accepted to go to university in Windsor, Ontario, which I know is pretty pretty close to where you are. Yep. The 
getting married and, and moving to Ohio thing through a wrench in that. I did some school at Columbus State Community College in Columbus, Ohio, and then ultimately transferred and did basically a distance program with Northern Arizona University in, in just a general business vertical. And uh, got into LTL with Old Dominion, actually. That was my first company in the industry back in 2007. And I spent ultimately eight years with them. Did everything from dock operations to did an in-house driving school, got my CDL and drove for them for a year. Did weights and inspections. So basically checking and verifying that the freight being moved matches with what's on the bill of lading and is priced correctly. And then that kind of got me headed down the path towards the pricing, costing, analytics side of LTL. Ultimately worked for a few years in their pricing and costing group. And then I left the company in 2016 and I've been with a handful of third-party logistics freight management companies since 2016, as well as done some of my own consulting and advising and actually took a year off from this in 2018 and started my own little asset-based hotshot trucking company. So that's a, that was an interesting story, but it ultimately came back to the, the core LTL industry and just having a blast. I love talking about the industry, how we can make things better, just driving discussion and community. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I got to say, so one last thing. Why did you join Freight Plus? I looked at your LinkedIn just before we hit record. You've been a lot of different places. Working in Old Dominion, which I got to think is... It, maybe the best, if not arguably the best, LTL carrier. You had op options. Why did you choose Freight Plus? Freight Plus, I was just impressed with the team they were assembling. I'd known the CEO for about three or four years prior to going there. And they're just a group of really smart, effective, high-performing people, but they're open-minded and down-to-earth. And I, I just wanted to come add what I could from an LTL perspective. And then we've partnered a lot with the Understand LTL perspective as well. So the Freight Plus, Freight Plus employees go through and take that course that I've built when they're hired. This mastermind event that I mentioned, the COO of Freight Plus is going to be one of the speakers there. I've got 10 speakers in total. So yeah, it's just, it's a good symbiotic relationship and, and I can help them and they help me and leave me with some freedom to be able to build the Understand LTL brand as well. Before we get off this topic, what's in East Africa? What, why did you go? When you said I took a year off and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I went to Asia or I went to Europe. I didn't expect to hear East Africa. What's there? Yeah. Why? A lot of really good coffee and really good people are there as I found out. But no, I think, so first of all, it's much more common in Canada for kids to take a travel year or go to Europe, a lot of them. Yeah. 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 It's more common there, I would say, per capita than it is in the US with young kids. So that was already more of a norm. And then I just, honestly, I'm surprised I thought this way at 19 or 20, but I just thought I, I want to get out of my bubble and in how I see the world and, and how I grew up. And I wanted to go to one of the poorer parts of the world and just experience it, see how people live there. So yeah. my sister was just, her and her husband lived in South Africa for four years. 
just before the pandemic and they moved back uh, here to the States, but they love the, they loved so much about Africa. It's got challenges, but it's got lots of opportunity. They said the weather is perfect. People are nice. Yeah. A lot of good things. So let's switch gears and talk a little bit about yellow. First off, before we even get to yellow, let's do just the basics about LTL for somebody who's not coming from that space. So I, I will give my very rudimentary uh, version of it, and then I'll let the master tell us a little bit more about what LTL is. If you have have the need for a full truck, I'm going to fill that truck up with 20 pallets or 30 pallets. Great. That's the way the world normally works. That's the And that's the dominant space. That's drive-in. If I need a if I have a machinery or maybe some building supplies, I might use flatbed. But for the most part, we love drive-in. We understand that. That's pickup at one place, drop-off at another. But if I got to move something from, let's just say, California to New York, and it's three pallets that I just sold to somebody, I don't want a full truck because that full truck might cost me four or five grand. And I... Don't, I might not even make four or five grand on that sale. So I I need a less expensive version. So I think somewhere along the line, space says, can I just put my three pallets on the back of somebody else's half-empty truck? That all made sense, but it was never a market until, I don't even know when that market developed, but somewhere along the line, a market developed. And that LTL now, somebody's in California, maybe LA, they call a company previously would have been like yellow, but now it's not yellow anymore. Call an LTL carrier. They'll come pick it up at your location, usually in the afternoon, take it back to their terminal. And then it gets on another truck with a whole bunch of other people's freight, shared load. And then it goes from Los Angeles, maybe to Vegas. And it just keeps moving eastbound, but it's changing because some stuff gets off the truck <laughs> in Vegas. Some gets off in Montana, but at some point your stuff gets to another route driver in New York and it gets delivered. It takes longer, but it's less expensive. Now it's more expensive per part or per unit, but you're not paying that four or $5,000 that you would have to pay uh, for a full truck. So there is more handling, it takes longer, and more handling and more stops, there's potentially a little more damage. Some companies more than others, some freight more than others. But it's, and I think it's, is my right to say the LTL market's about one-tenth the size of the truckload market? Probably even smaller. If if truckload is, what, 900 billion or so, TL's probably 60, 65. Okay. So you say f- 5%, 7%, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very small market, but it's also critically important. A whole bunch of business doesn't make sense if you don't have LTL. Right. Yeah, I think it's getting it's quickly getting more important because as more providers of goods are selling direct to their customers as opposed to through pooling and and distributors and that sort of thing, it's the need and that's not just with e-commerce, but that's with industrial products and building supplies and tools and compressors and like anything that's just too large to go on a parcel truck. And like you said, from a cost perspective, there's just not enough money in that 
sale or in that product itself to to tack on another 900 to $6,000 in a truckload cost. So yeah, it's growing more relevant, definitely with e-com, but just as more folks are selling directly to their customers, whether that's B2C or B2B. And then with just-in-time manufacturing and just getting better at timing production to better match production and inventory to better match sales. Obviously, we all got burnt by that a little bit during COVID with with toilet paper shortages and everything else, but the, I don't think that's going away. It, it, we might get better at it and, and do better planning and, and better analytics around forecasting, but aside from a black swan event like COVID was, it's going to continue with shipping smaller amounts when possible. So, and you hit it on, you hit the nail on the head with talking about the cost and then the claims and handling. So basically when you ship LTL, you are, you have to know that up front you're trading costs, but you're taking on more risk. Absolutely. Yep. And I, if I could throw this out there also, I was just before COVID, I was down in Laredo and I visited a number of LTL locations with, I was doing some consulting at that time. And we visited a whole bunch of LTL, some of the top players down there. And a lot of stuff is moving from, I think if you go, I think 60% of the stuff that comes out of Mexico goes to automotive. I, I asked all the locations we stopped, what are you moving here? But so a lot of it's going to the Midwest, not just the Midwest anymore, because there's a lot of uh, automotive in the South too. But there was... I asked one of the guys at the terminal, this stuff goes to Minneapolis. How long or how long will it take and how many stops? And I envisioned he'd say it's going to be two or three stops before it gets to Minneapolis. And that's all that handling. And that's also adding costs. But then he said, oh, no, this the first time it'll be handled is in Minneapolis because we have a lot of business to there. And it was, what is it called a pup? Yeah, the shorter 28-foot trailers are... So he said, we'll fill that pup and then move that. He goes, the first time that'll get open is Minneapolis. I was like, so they've been... And he, of course, he mentioned, he said, we, over time, recognize every time we stop and have to take stuff out of a truck, put it in a terminal, wait, and then load it into another truck, that it costs money to move it. There, more handling means more damage and more opportunity for... Um, problems. And he said, so we started utilizing pups. So when somebody just says a blanket statement like, oh, LTL is always a lot more damage, not necessarily so. Yeah. Like you mentioned earlier as well, it really depends a lot of the time on the freight itself and how well it's packaged. And, you know, it, it, it gets difficult where you, companies are importing things and they come off containers and then sit in a warehouse for maybe a few days or a few weeks, and then they're out being sold and moved one piece at a time LTL. So there is cost in making that packaging more robust and, you know, well-suited for the LTL environment. But really the strength of the advantage LTL carriers have are their networks. So they, in a local capacity, they look very much like a parcel carrier where their one driver and, and his or her vehicle might be in backing into 20 or 30 different customers in, in a single day. They're just like pinballs going around, picking up and delivering freight. Then that all gets back, brought back and consolidated at the hub 
where then they load up those pup trailers. Most of the carriers hook two of those together and then three, depending on what state and what highway you're on in some cases, try to maximize space and, you know, get as much volume and cube as they can. And then, yeah, send it as far down the road as possible without having to (laughs) touch it again and rearrange it. So that's a huge advantage for the carriers that get that line haul routing correct and better than others, particularly for national LTL carriers, line haul is always going to be the largest percentage of their overall cost. And line haul is when they're moving from one big city to another big city, from one terminal to another. So that might be from Chicago, might have a terminal, maybe Grand Rapids, where I'm uh, not too far from Detroit. So maybe it's Chicago, Grand Rapids, Detroit. And those are, Detroit's about two hours from Grand Rapids, two hours to Chicago. So those, between those are the line halls. And and then the other, the local, I don't know if you call it local, but this is also a very difficult business because of, you have to have density in an area. So what you'll notice is the LTL carriers, I'll let you describe it because you can do it better than I can. But when you're working with LTL companies, they are very cagey about where they'll work and where they won't. And for good reason, because they can't all of a sudden say, yeah, I'm, I'm normally De- Detroit, Grand Rapids. They won't go to the upper peninsula of Michigan, most of them, <laughs> because they're like, there's nothing to pick up. There's We don't have a network up there. So please explain. Yeah. So in compared to a truckload carrier where, you know, all their costs from a labor, fuel, equipment perspective, they're all bundled up in that one truck and driver combination. And as they move from point to point, it really doesn't matter where they're going. Obviously, there's head haul, back haul lanes. And in some cases, it's harder to get out of a a certain market than others. But generally speaking, it's more of a one-to-one relationship where as long as the load they're picking up was paying more than what it costs them to get there and get out of there, then they're good. But if you think of LTL carriers and their networks and just the importance of density, as you mentioned, they have these clusters of terminals, facilities with local and line haul drivers and equipment. And the further they stray from that terminal for a pickup or delivery, the more it's going to cost them and the less density they're going to have. They're going to have empty miles. Yeah. Where you look at us only takes right hand turns and tries to stay as, as dense as possible and pick up one driver might pick up everything on just two or three city blocks, depending on how busy and how what city they're in. Please elaborate on that turning right only for UPS. I think that's fascinating. I guess it's just more efficient. It's less time at stoplights, less time driving. If you think of fewer accidents. Yeah. Like just tighter, quicker traffic cycles, as opposed to waiting for left-hand turns and changing lanes. So their navigation will help them just turn right only. So never make it. I've always heard that. Yeah, I've, I have too. I've actually, I think there's a YouTube video on it if you guys don't want to look. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's like being a race car driver and always staying on the inside track. If I can find it, I will add that to the show notes. Turn right only UPS. <laughs> um, so I want to take a quick time out to tell you, you can now listen to the logistics of logistics on Wreaths Across America Radio. I'll put a link in the show notes. Wreaths Across America provides informational, inspiring content about members of the U.S. Armed Forces, their families, and military veterans. Their mission is to remember, honor, and teach. Wreaths Across America succeeds 
because of the generous support of the trucking community. Take a listen and please consider volunteering. Getting back to it, we started to dip into the market here. So again, we're talking LTL in a post-yellow world with my friend Curtis Garrett. Much smaller market for LTL, but it has to, these guys have to be very dense in their networks. They need that density. And there are, and correct me if I'm wrong, I used to say, and this is, it was not including yellow in it, used to be the top 10 LTL companies had 80-some percent of the market, and the top 25 LTL carriers had 90-some percent of the market. And that is very different from truckload. If you get in the truckload business, I think the very largest truckload companies have one and a half, maybe 2% of the market. And then we, and then an enormous amount of our capacity is in the, that long tail, 10, car- 10 trucks or less carriers. Please elaborate on that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're your metrics there with the top 10 having 80 some percent. That's still very much true, if not even more consolidated now with yellow going under. So if you look at some of the recent volume metrics and things that these other top national public carriers have put out there, size got the bump, ABF, XPO, Estes is private. So they don't, they don't necessarily talk about their numbers, but just from what they're doing and saying in the market, you can tell they've taken on a lot of business too. So it definitely wasn't linear and perfectly neat and tidy where everybody gets a piece of the yellow pie and, and gets a slice. You've touched on yellow. What happened to yellow for those who aren't paying attention? Not everybody lives, eats and breathes LTL every day like you do, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about pie and eating LTL. <laughs> Yellow, it's been a long story that that you could do a week-long series on that. <laughs> right. Honestly, one of your past guests, David Ross, has written some really good stuff about just what's happened with Yellow with some of his blog posts or Substack newsletter posts in the last few months. That might be good to link to as well. I'll link to that episode because D- D- David gave us the long history of LTL, which I thought was fascinating. Yeah. And a lot of that really is relevant in this story. So it's the high notes are a lot of acquisitions by yellow with obviously the big yellow roadway merger, buying the USFs and these regional carriers rolling or attempting to roll them up intelligently. There was a Chinese freight company acquisition 10 or 12 years ago that was basically a failure. They ended up selling it. So just some different strategies. And it seemed like the driving strategy for a while there, if you look 10 to 15 years back, was world domination and global assets and service and things like that. There's a lot of parts and pieces to why it didn't work. I Honestly, in my opinion, I think the solution that Yellow was driving towards here in the last one to two years with consolidating, moving Holland, Redaway, YRC, all these operating companies into one yellow brand. I think it it had a really good chance of working. They were going to eliminate a lot of redundant and this terminal here being just down the street from this terminal there because it was part of a prior acquisition. So if they could have basically got their line haul network working efficiently, back to what we were talking about before with more direct, longer haul moves from point to point, this regional, super regional model that they they were talking about, I think it would have had a good shot. But 
ultimately it was a perfect storm with union negotiations with just all the debt they had over a billion dollars in debt and then just not having a history at least in the past decade of not really being profitable and and not having a strong operating ratio yep and so they're in the process or maybe trying to absorb it all they had bought you usf holland which by the way was my favorite ltl carrier when i was doing a lot of ltl they are i think they would call that a maybe a super regional because they did the midwest and the southeast with some of the down to atlanta they did a lot for us it's confusing because super regional is quite often a term for really a line haul model and construct that some of the national carriers utilize. But yeah, you've got definitely haul and covered a lot more states and regions. I love working with them. But you mentioned you you mentioned unions. When I talked to David Ross, and again, I'll put a link to that episode. It's a few years ago. I think he said at one time the top like the top sixty. LTL carriers, maybe it's the top 60 out of 65 were unionized. And so in a lot of ways that that was probably in a, I don't know if deregulation impacted this industry, like it did the truckload, but basically this was, everyone was competing with the same cost structure. When you have unions, and again, I'm not against, we had a little conversation before we hit record. I've worked with unions that are very reasonable and I've worked with some that are very difficult. And I would always say, most people working in, a, if you're in a union, I've been in a union. The only thing you ever bitch about is the guys who are getting in trouble and giving everyone a bad name and probably uh, should be let go. But instead, your dues go to pay for that idiot to keep his job. <laughs> but sometimes it can drive up your costs. And again, it's not just the the cost of the guy; he gets paid more. A lot of times, it's the union work rules that get in the way too, where they say. Curtis isn't allowed to do this and Joe isn't allowed to. And you're like, okay, so there's a handoff where I hand the box to Curtis so he can put it on the shelf because I'm not the shelf guy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I, that's a great point. I think the the loss in potential opportunity is probably a greater loss, a greater cost, I'm sorry, in a lot of cases than just, hey, the union negotiated a better hourly rate and better benefits and that sort of thing. It's... Like LTL, the reason it's so difficult is uh, there's not a whole lot of like average in the middle, reasonable work and tasks. It's you either got to look and act like a parcel carrier or you're picking up 10, 12, 15,000 pound shipments and you got to look and act like a truckload carrier. So it's the constant switching back and forth and variables on that spectrum that, that are the reason why LTL is so tough. And Labor is a big part of that, whether it's your dock labor, your drivers, local or over the road, it, you got to be able to pivot and move and keep up with the demands of your business and really stringent work rules from a union perspective. Just they're too constraining, in my opinion. We, I think we just had the UPS to get done and they're not going on strike. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> but UPS and FedEx have always had, they're the only game in town seemingly for small parcel. But now we're seeing, I've interviewed Ben Emmerich from Tusk Logistics. They're one of my advertiser sponsors. Tusk Logistics is co combining a whole bunch of, they're a national network of regional parcel carriers. And so all of a sudden UPS is, and FedEx are going to have competition. Sendel would be like that. There's a lot of companies that are showing up 
who are going to compete. And that's where, if you don't have to, wrong way to say it, I have to compete. UPS was one of the big two. You were using UPS or FedEx, and then there was USPS too. Same kind of thing was happening. At one time, if you didn't, if everyone was union, there wasn't a real problem being union. As we got deregulated and fewer unions and all these LTL companies, it got a little more difficult. I think the parcel providers, yeah, they're going to have disruptors and with technology folks that are pooling and combining providers. But honestly, I think a lot of their threat to relevancy and, and domination comes from their own customers. If you look at e-com, like Shopify is building out logistics networks. Or Amazon. <laughs> Amazon, exactly. What American Eagle has done with quiet logistics, and, and they're actually managing logistics for some of their competitors in a retail clothing space and competing with those parcel providers. So that's an interesting side that I, we don't quite see. I, I don't see too many big sellers saying, hey, let's start our own LTL company in-house. But you never know. LTL and small parcel traditionally haven't had an easy go of it. I, you and I could start a truckload company tomorrow and we would know how to manage those trucks. Well, it's a tough business. I, you might know how to manage better than I, but LTL is a much more difficult to start in business on that. Getting back to it, who are the top 10 LTL companies? Jeez, pop quiz. Give me, I know we can name seven or eight between us. Yeah, we can get there between us. The deck's been reshuffled, obviously. You've got FedEx Freight is still by far the biggest. They're the big boys. With over nine, nine billion in revenue. Old Dominion's next. And then that next handful, you've got- And those are both national, right? Yes. There may be one or two in the top 10. I think the largest regional would be Southeastern Freight Lines. And they, depending on the list you look at, they sometimes break the top 10. But yeah, it's FedEx Freight, Old Dominion, XPO, Estes Express. It used to be Conway, right? XPO, Conway. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and, the, and then they were part of obviously this huge umbrella of companies with XPO Logistics in the last ten years. And, and then they split again. <laughs> yeah, you've got RX over here and GXO, and and now all great companies. Yep. Yeah. So I said Estes after that, which is the largest privately held LTL carrier on that list. I think they're actually the largest privately held trucking company in North America. Period. Oh, wow. They're a good company. I've worked with them. Yep. Yep. RNL Carriers is up there. They're the second largest privately held LTL carrier. Uh, you've got T-Force. Uh, you've got- T-Force used to be UPS, right? Yes. And T-Force is also unionized, right? Yes. T-Force is one of one of the, the final two unionized LTL carriers. And then the other one of those two unionized, which is on this top 10 list as well as ABF, part of the ARC. I loved ABF when I worked at that great company. Yeah, one, one, little, one little theory I have too with just this union carrier aspect. If you looked at Yellow, they were the only one of the three that were just basically a pure play asset-based LTL carrier. Now, they had their logistics arm that was a little newer and I think it was growing, but it was still a drop in the bucket compared to the overall company. Where if you look at ABF and T-Force, they're both part of much, much bigger organizations that have a whole assortment of non-asset or asset-like companies as well. So there's more subsidization and, and more synergies. I hate that word, but it's there's an easier time, I think, keeping that union carrier 
in the right spot, looking good financially, when there's all these other service providers and revenue creators in the group as well. Yep. So, if, so when we talk about the top 10 carriers, I know we just named, so, <laughs> I know we're missing a few, but we, we, <laughs> we got one, two, three. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yellow would be in that top 10, right? Yeah, they would have been like three. Not anymore. <laughs> so we're talking today in the post yellow world, what percentage of all shipments, what volume, what percentage of volume did they have? Initially, like a few months back when it looked like a closure for yellow might be possible. I saw a lot of folks throwing around a 10% number. I think 10% though, of as, the total volume of the LTL of market. the LTL market. I I personally think it was less. Maybe two years ago it would have been 10%. It's eight. Yeah, probably seven or seven or eight. They've really declined and lost a lot of business in the last one and a half, one year. And then in the last few months. So what happened to that? Service instability. Now, who took all this business? That's an enormous amount of business. Where did it go? The advantage to how this played out, if you look back to how CF shut down in the early 2000s and some of the other union carriers, they went out overnight, unexpected, just all of a sudden the doors are closed. This way with a very, it's ironic because this public public dispute with the union, with missing pension payments in those final months, with large media companies in the industry that weren't around 10 years ago, just really covering and hitting hard. Well, like Freight Waves. Yeah, I've watched, I pay attention to Freight Waves and man, they, they did cover it really well, but they're not the only ones. No, but they are the biggest now and they weren't there during the recession or during any other time that Yellow was on the brink. So they've created... I've had Craig Fuller on my podcast for was a very smart guy. And what he said when they started Freightwaves, they had this idea that they were going to have this futures market. And that's what they had with Sonar in effect. But he said, you can't have a futures market without up to the minute information. So they became that up to the minute information provider. And I think, yeah, they were juggernaut. So what, what I was getting at, sorry, with that effect of just all this live coverage, it's essentially the nail in the coffin that that customers just got rattled and and started pulling away in those final months but it did also make for a more organized wind down where you didn't have as much freight stuck in the network because people saw this coming what was the company out east and i want to say is it was out east that maybe it was either new pen or there was a union company that closed and i was working with those guys and I couldn't believe how bad the service was. And then one day they're like, we're closing next week. <laughs> Can you, do you remember it was probably just before COVID? Was it New England Motor Freight? New England Motor Freight. And I remember we moved it all. And I kept saying to, I was an advisor, New England Motor Freight. I kept saying to my 3PL, could you move this to someone else? So who? I was like, like New Pen. Because I like New Pen. We were also working with New Pen. And they're like, we can't blah, 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 blah. And then one day they're like, all right, we're working new pen. I was like, why? And they're like, because the other one's closing next week. And I was like, but one other point I want to make about this is we know e-commerce is mostly small parcel, but if I order a couch today online, and a lot of people are doing that, that is not going to be delivered via small parcel. It's got to come LTL. 
And that's we've always done home delivery, but not to the extent I think that we're going to see probably now or in the future. Not only do we have that, but all the micro fulfillment. When we say micro fulfillment, that means we're getting the freight closer to the customer in smaller locations. So it might be even in the city where you're like, where, where traditionally wouldn't see a warehouse in a downtown area. But if you wanted to deliver same day, next day, you have to have that micro fulfillment location close to the people, which means we're going to be moving lots of small parcel to that. And I'm from automotive originally. We use a ton of small parcel and that's an inventory management thing. In a lot of cases, and I think automotive is probably one of those cases, transportation costs are less than inventory carrying costs in a lot of cases. So somebody could say, why don't you just get all of those parts once a month on a big truckload instead of a whole bunch of LTL? And maybe the answer is carrying costs of inventory. But also with automotive, the parts are continuously updating because of quality concerns or upgrades that they made for another reason. So there is, LTL has always been important, but it's getting increasingly important. Anyway, the big question, when, when yellow went away, all this had to be absorbed. Who was the big winners? Was it all the companies we just described? So yes, in short, uh, I think everybody in the market from an LTL carrier perspective got at least a piece, some larger than others. There's a few dynamics at play. One is yellow was known for having a lot of government freight, like Department of Defense, federal. So that had to go somewhere else. And that's obviously not as easy as just picking up the phone and calling another carrier in. So I've yet to hear, I actually don't know where if that largely stayed together and went to just another carrier or if it's been split up, but I'm curious on that. Otherwise, for the most part, some of the regionals are really going to get inundated with and have been already, obviously, as this happened at the end of July, with what Holland might have been handling or Redaway out in the West or even New Penn. So there, even though that we had this march towards this one yellow consolidation, there still very much was a fragmentation within yellow's own network. And with Holland having a, a really heavy stronghold and a lot of business in, say, Ohio and Michigan, the upper Midwest, a lot of that business has, has probably gone to the Pitt, Ohio's, the Wards, the Dayton Freights, and some of those larger regional care. Dayton's probably one of those top 10 too, aren't they? It's close, yeah. They're up there. So I want to take a quick time out to tell you about my friends over at Greenscreens. That's greenscreens.ai. Greenscreens is a dynamic pricing technology for the truckload spot market that delivers buy and sell side market intelligence to help brokers and 3PLs grow and protect their margins. Freight brokers and 3PLs using Greenscreens gain the following advantages. Faster pricing for both buy side and sell side transactions. Pricing that is more accurate and more likely to win profitable business. Guys, dynamic pricing is the next killer app. Hundreds of freight brokers are already using it because it enables them to develop faster, more accurate quotes. This is the time. Check out Green Screens in the show notes, greenscreens.ai. So getting back to it, many years ago, probably 10 years ago, I took a tour of the USF Holland plant looks like a plant terminal in Detroit 
And they have 800 trucks at that location at that time. That was their biggest terminal. So they moved a ton of automotive. That was a very impressive location. I'd love, again, I love working with USF Holland. I loved working with Dayton Freight when I was doing, still doing LTL. Yeah. And then on the national side, like we've seen already some August metrics come out where SIA's shipment count was up double digits. XPO is just by some of their behavior in the market, they're clearly at max or near max capacity. So there definitely was room to absorb this. And I, I think it's not so much a matter of just capacity and fitting all this this orphan freight now into somebody else's trucks. It's more just the complexity that comes with that. It's bringing on new customers and with how inefficient our pricing is in LTL and, and having to manually cost out a lot of this stuff and forecast volumes and put in pricing that's typically good for a year. So it's not so much just the freight with the trailer space and the dock doors that was the hardest part here. It's all the other adjacent levels to this that are cumbersome still in LTL. Yeah, we didn't get into LTL pricing. I normally uh, talk about that a lot. It drives me crazy, and I, but I know it's changing, so we'll just leave that alone for now. But So there was a lot of assets associated. How many trucks? Do you have a sense for how many trucks they had with at Yellow? I'm not sure from an actual equipment count, because I, I know a lot of them were quite old as well, and maybe wouldn't be deemed roadworthy for some of their competitors. So as far as number of usable trucks, yeah, that's a harder number to get to. Um, they had about 160 terminals that they owned out of the 300 and so that they were using. So they were on, they only owned about half of what they were using. They were leasing the rest. So those will go back to whoever. Do they use owner operators for the line halls and for some of the other freight they move? Yes. A lot of LTL carriers will use. Oh, if you're union, if you're union, you probably would struggle with that though. It's actually part of their union contract. So I believe they were allowed to use something like 16 or maybe 19% purchase transportation for their line haul. So yeah, that was, they used a combination of that as well as some rail. So the line haul guys, the, the owner operators, they just moved on to other freight, but we have these terminals are, so do you anticipate some of these other carriers buying up these terminals or are they redundant terminals? And by the way, also, if this happened during the pandemic, it would have been really hard to absorb this stuff. But you say because we're a little slow right now, it's a little easier? Oh, yeah. I fully believe there was more than enough available capacity in the LTL market to absorb. And then if you think of it as well, it's once we get past this dust storm of some short-term chaos, I think it's going to be better. Like these other carriers that are taking this on, operate better financially service-wise like on average the the new ltl realigned market with yellow gone is gonna be a little more efficient and, and work a little better. yeah by the way i've worked with and i won't mention the names so they are and anyone who's been in ltl knows who they are when you work with an ltl company that is struggling financially or otherwise it can just be an absolute nightmare in terms of losing freight, in terms of late freight. It Because there's that extra handling. There's just so much more stuff that can go wrong. And when I used to sell LTL, I was at a, a little 3PL, and we 
sold LTL services. We were not an asset. And we would have certain, a lot of times, and I'm sure you've experienced this right now, when you talk to certain shippers, they say, and you're not allowed to use blank. And you're like, and by the way, every once in a while, there'll be a top carrier in that list. And you're like, hold up. I don't know what went wrong, but we're using that one or I can't do business with you. And a lot of the companies we just described here, you'll hear somebody say, we had a really bad experience with them. I'm like, that may be true, but they're a top carrier. That's our job. Let us manage it. Exactly. Yeah. Shippers have the longest memories of any biological being <laughs> more than elephants. I've said many times though, it's the onus is on the carrier and the 3PL to say, we're going to meet every week or every two weeks or at least once a month and go over the numbers. And because otherwise it becomes a business of exception where the only time I talk to Curtis is to say, late again, Curtis. And you're like, yeah, we had 200 on-time shipments and now you're calling me. Right. Not to congratulate me, but to bitch about the, the 201 was late and now you've ruined the whole business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. That happens a lot. So we as uh, the, the service providers need to give the metrics and remind them, yeah, yep, about 1%, 2%, things go wrong. That's the nature of this biz. So you, I, I, I stepped on you when you were going to answer this, but do you see these terminals getting bought by these other carriers? I see a mix of things happening. So right now, like officially, we've got SS Express and Old Dominion Freight Lines, two competing LTL carriers, have both put in these stocking horse bids, basically saying as the bankruptcy proceeds and assets are liquidated, they want to be front of the line and have a crack at these terminals. So there's that. But I honestly, there's there's so many ways this could go with back to my earlier point about some shippers, large sellers in different industries wanting to build out and have more control over their own supply chain and logistics networks. There's cross-stocking is becoming more and more valuable from a parcel perspective with with zone skipping and consolidating and you know pallet explain how that works. So that very much this the same way that an LTL carrier is better off if they consolidate freight that's going further and they can just move it together in a trailer further across the country before they touch it. If say you're, you've got a bunch of smaller parcel or, or real small LTL shipments that are being picked up on the West coast, majority of them are delivering in the Northeast. It's going to make more sense and just be easier to manage as well as be more cost effective. If you just bundle all those together, you know, on pallets or fill up a truckload or whatever, and move it across the country as far as you can go until that final disperse and delivery. Yep. Yep. I, I think these terminals could get distributed in a number of different places, but ultimately it's going to be up to the powers that be it. They may only want to sell it off as a full package. And being that they have at least two buyers with OD and Estes, maybe that's the way it'll go, but going to be interesting. I love that Old Dominion and Estes are great carriers. So it would be a good thing if they bought, yeah, they're great operators. You want to see the, those assets in the right hands. Yeah, it's a challenge. I got to think there's also redundant terminals. Sometimes when when army leaves the field, uh, you go, we don't need that terminal anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So what should shippers do right now? 
if you let's just say I was doing thirty percent of my freight with uh, yellow, I'm assuming they've already made adjustments. But I would also say this is maybe a reason you work should work with a company like Freight Plus because they've probably anticipated. Yeah, I'm assuming you guys knew ahead of time this is happening. We're going to start pulling back volume from that, so we're not scrambling at the last minute when they declare bankruptcy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot. Presumably, all of those shippers have now found a new home with probably a combination of carriers. But really, what they should do was the strategy all along that I think, from like a shipper of choice perspective, don't choose your provider on that upfront rate or cost alone. Be a good partner, package your freight well, do your part to make it as claims proof and easy to handle as possible for the carrier. And Look at the full holistic offering. Again, just don't look at that cheap rate. Look at claims percentages and on-time delivery. All of that has a dollar amount attached to it as well. Yeah, we know this. A lot of shippers, not all, a lot of shippers are saying, I want the cheapest price. That's the first thing they talk about. And as a result, we sometimes, I shouldn't say sometimes, we always see it. There are carriers that are cutting corners to get business, and there are are freight brokers who are cutting corners to get business. Not all freight brokers, not all carriers, but that's the tendency right now is you say, and by the way, am I being critical? No, we've all cut corners in our lives, and we know why we did it. It's usually because I had to do it to win the business. The best carriers, the ones we just described here, a lot of the other carriers you talk to will say, we are never going to be the lowest price. Sorry. And by the way, the day yellow was going out of business, I guarantee there was somebody who was saying, you're too expensive. And meanwhile, they're like, we're going out of business. <laughs> right. And that is one of the challenges in this business. We right now are seeing a lot of fraud and double brokering. And what causes that? I'm not saying it's all caused by people looking for the lowest price, but some of it is caused by chasing that low price. I agree with you find a great carrier and work together to reduce costs, not take their margin away. These are not all wildly profitable businesses. (laughs) These were in trucking. It is a tough business. We see that every time there's a downturn, how many companies go under. I think we've got to get in the habit of saying, let us together reduce the cost of moving stuff, which is we're going to package better. So we don't have damage. We're going to communicate better. We're going to just keep getting better and better at the stuff that doesn't take margin out of the pocket of the carrier or of a 3PL. I've had people say this to me. Uh, I was helping them pick a large 3PL and they said, I think they could get, they said, they're going to have this guy on board and they, that's too many people. And I said, you're looking at that guy. He's an ops guy and you're looking at him as he costs a hundred grand a year. I'm looking and saying, he's going to save me a half a million a year. Because that's what an ops guy does. And so we have to get out of this mindset of everybody. And again, we can automate with using technology. But you said earlier before we hit record, you said, so maybe I'm going to botch it and you can probably <laughs> correct me. Ecom is all digital until it has to become physical. And that's when the problems begin. Yeah, yeah. What I said, and it was very evident during COVID when online shopping was all the rage with people stuck at home and 
having some stimulus money to burn potentially. Demand has become digital. It's easy to click a button and buy something and, and create that signal, but supply is still very physical and subject to the constraints of the physical world. So we're just we're in a we're in a uneven period. Yep. So let's wrap this bad boy up. So I'm talking to Curtis Garrett. We're talking about the post yellow world. So we talked about a lot. We talked about out of business and what's happened to that freight. We talked about the LTL market in general. And thank God this happened after COVID because during COVID, all these LTL companies were max capacity. But now they had a little bit of wiggle room. So they were able to absorb some of this business. So give us your final thoughts on this topic, Curtis. Yeah, it's a tough event. Anytime you see a large organization with with a lot of good, hardworking, smart people. Thousands. <laughs> yeah. 30,000, I believe in total, something like 22,000 drivers. Yeah. It's, it's tough to see that. I, I do think in the long term, it's better for the industry. You're going to have a healthier, more efficient industry. A lot of those people I'm seeing on LinkedIn are, are finding new homes and being just dispersed out into the market with different companies. So Definitely feel for them, but I think it's about time it happened, to be honest. I think every few years when Yellow gets another bailout or took on more debt or almost shut down, like it's just a big distraction that we we don't necessarily need in an already difficult industry. So I think we'll survive it. Carriers are doing a great job at picking up the slack here. And there's understandably some chaos and some issues now, but in a few months even, I think it's going to be very much behind us. Very nice. Very nice. So I like to interview smart, interesting people like you who are killing it in the space. Who else should I interview, Curtis Garrett? I've got a few, just when I think of a few of my mentors and people I look up to in the industry, uh, folks like Todd Poland at Old Dominion runs their pricing team, has had a big influence on me back when I used to work for him at Old Dominion, but even since I left. Mike Campisi with EFW, which is Estes Forwarding Worldwide, their sister company to Estes Express. He's got a really interesting background, spent a lot of time on the Estes side in the LTL world. And then now he's CMO and customer experience officer at EFW. Really smart guy with a lot of insight and experience with just the customer and the customer experience and the service product itself in the industry. Those would be a couple. I could I could probably come up with 20 more, but those would be two right off the bat. I love it. And we didn't even get into pricing, but LTL pricing is changing. So I look forward to talking to someone like Todd, who's an expert in it. And I know you're an expert in it, but we talked about something else. And it, it needs to change. It's very painful for everybody in the LTL business. <laughs> so who's the sweet spot for Freight Plus? Freight Plus works with primarily middle market companies, we basically give them the, the logistics and transportation experience of a Fortune 500. So the, the people, the service, the operational support, the pricing and analysis, the technology we have, it's really aimed at those growing, whether it's a family company, whether it's private equity owned, just somebody that may not have all the parts and pieces in-house to, to execute logistics, we come in and we're able to manage their whole freight spend. 
regardless of whether you're big or small, customers have high expectations when it comes to the logistics and the delivery these days. How about for Understand LTL, your your training business? Who's the sweet spot for that? My initial product has been a general LTL course uh, that I called Building an LTL Brain. And the goal there is to teach people how to think about LTL, boil it down. I didn't start in the weeds with freight classes and all these Thank God. <laughs> hundreds and thousands of incremental variables. It's more, what are the first principles that kind of drive the industry? So that course is good for everybody. I've had shippers, 3PLs, technology companies, carriers run some of their employees through it. It's been a good mix for anybody in the industry. And then November 9th and 10th, I'm holding an in-person LTL mastermind. We're calling it Playbook Live. So we're bringing in people like Todd Poland and Mike Campisi and Pat Martin from Estes and Madison Conway from the DDC group, who's their, she's their marketing, global marketing director, bringing in somebody from Blue Grace, like just an assortment of really knowledgeable folks. Oh, Lance Healy, if you haven't interviewed him, you should. He's a technology pioneer in the LTL industry. Um, he's going to be at this event too. So basically about 10 people to have a, just a small, very low key Q&A, lots of discussion type environment. And it, it's going to be a blast. So the, all the information for that is on my website, understandltl.com. Yeah, put up, if you give me those links, I'll put it in the show notes so people can reach out and talk to you. And what other conferences will we see you at besides your own? So the next one I'll be at is the Inland Distribution Conference that the Journal of Commerce is putting on September 25th, the week of September 25th. And I'll be doing about a 45-minute LTL session. It's They're calling it Inland Academy. So they're in the first day, they're bringing in people from different modes and categories to, to do some educational stuff. So I'll be at that. I'll probably be at the next TIA. I'll definitely be at the SMC3 conferences, Jumpstart and Connections that they have twice a year. So excellent. outside of that, I think, I think I'll probably just be busy, <laughs> busy on the home front getting work done. Excellent. Excellent. Curtis, thank you so much for taking the time. You're, you're a very knowledgeable LTL guy. And that's, I shouldn't say that it's rare, but not everybody does it. And I think that it's a business that confounds most of our industry, I think. <laughs> Yeah. No, thanks for uh, having me by. I know this is a long time coming. We've talked in past years, so I'm glad we pulled it off. Finally. Thank you so much, Curtis. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You have been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage with leaders in the logistics and supply chain community. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, hit the like button, and leave us a nice review on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen. Also, please check out our videos on YouTube and connect with us on LinkedIn. We're very big on LinkedIn. And you can also reach us on the logisticsoflogistics.com, our website.